Sophia Mosasha is a virtual reality expert. On this episode of the Business Samurai Podcast, we take a deep dive into what is the metaverse? Has virtual reality and meta become mainstream? What is currently practical good applications? And where does Sophia see this going into the near future into our daily lives? So there's a few surprises that I wasn't even aware of that we are already at, but sit back and enjoy my conversation with Sophia as we take a deep dive into the metaverse here on the Business Samurai Podcast. Do you enjoy talking business? Do you enjoy reading about business? Do you geek out over the entrepreneurial journey? If so, then you are in the right spot. The Business Samurai Podcast brings you the stories told by the people themselves. You'll be immersed in a wide variety of industries from venture capital to gourmet popcorn, learning how to be a better leader or the personalities behind solving the broadband crisis. At the Business Samurai, we believe it takes a wide variety of skill sets and experiences to be successful in business and life. Our aim is to not only entertain, but educate. For you to recognize how successful tactics and motivations in one industry can help propel you forward in your own unique business. Sit back, enjoy, and welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I am your host, John Barker. Why don't you give a just a little brief background on what how you got into emerging technology and as one of the thought leaders in the space and everywhere, obviously everywhere, based on what I just read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I started about six years ago at a company called Brightline Interactive. They're a custom content creator uh, doing everything from interactive technologies to then VR and AR to be inclusive of that. And, and I spearheaded that effort for them because they were just getting started in that technology. And in all of the research that I was doing as a marketing and business professional, all the connecting that I was doing with others in the industry, I got to learn a lot about what was going on in the industry. I got to learn about who's who and where the innovations lied. And it became very intriguing to me, as I'm sure it is for anybody else that's in this industry. I fell in love with the technology after that. And that's how I got my start. And then I just took it and ran with it and just made it my business to know everything that was going on in the industry. <laughs> that's awesome. I want to get, I want to lay the groundwork for, for the discussion around immersive technology, web 3.0, and just try to get everybody on a, on the same plane, because I've been in tech for over 20 years and this stuff seems to be rapidly evolving and even the term web 3.0 and exactly what that means for everybody. So can you, where are, where do we stand with immersive technology that it's usable? Can you clarify what web 3.0 actually is since that's the new hot buzzword going around? Yeah, so I would say the more wider spread, the more wider spread understanding of AR VR like came about in 2016-ish timeframe where you know you saw more companies starting up to to create for these experiences and a lot more hardware that started being developed to be able to deploy these experiences on. And so that's about the time when I actually got started as well. And where I see that we're at now with the technology is we do have a lot of adoption, uh, but it primarily is with people that are gamers, people that are in the industry 
such as myself and you, John, who just get, have a headset to experiment with, go into the, these different applications, go into these different social environments to really get an understanding of, of what we can do with the tech. And then we have a large groupings of, I, I would say, more of very focused efforts on developing for the content. So from the brand side, it's very event-based, location-based stuff, campaign-driven initiatives. So you see a lot, and the consumer has seen a lot through that, but through very dedicated initiatives through these brands. And then on, on the enterprise side and the military side, you see a lot of adoption and experimentation going on, a lot around remote collaboration and training and I, I would say remote modeling as well and, and shared spaces to be able to do that virtually. But again, those are very siloed uses of the technology within the enterprise. The consumer hasn't really seen that side of it yet. And so a lot of what people know and the broader perspective of AR VR is that it's a gaming technology, which it is, but sure. everything gamified makes things more fun <laughs> to learn and educate on. So that's, that's a key value proposition of the technology. But where I see it going, when I see it uh, in terms of being it, it being po more popularized is going to be very content driven and have that maybe that killer app by that brand or that enterprise, that company that, that people are already maybe familiar with that are kind of driving the technology. And it has to create some kind of value in people's lives beyond the novel aspect of the technology. I compare it to the early days of the smartphone, where for me, myself, I didn't get an iPhone until about four years after it came out, but I played with it prior to that. And I was on my friend's phones toying around with it and it was cool, but I didn't connect with it in terms of having it drive that extra value in my life. There was content and applications that were being deployed for the sake of content. But nowadays we see applications that truly drive that, that value add in our lives. And we can't see ourselves without the smartphone. So that, so I believe when the tech, the content kind of gets there, to that point and that we have that killer app that's going to dr drive consumer use across the board on for driving the, the for using these technologies and i also believe that apple will also be a b big part of that as well because they have a major influence in okay. in driving that consumer use of the technology but in terms of hardware we're already there i don't i, I think it's very capable i mean the Oculus Quest is a very capable headset, has a lot of content out there, super, super easy to use, a standalone headset. You don't have to hook it up to a really expensive gaming computer. It's 300 bucks, and that's already a fraction of what we're used to paying for our technology devices, our laptops and our computers. I think in terms of accessibility, it's already there. And a lot of the applications now, where we're, and now we're getting into web, a lot of the applications you can actually use on your mobile device, on your PC, and on your headset. So you have the option. Of Are we going to have a headset connected to our phone? It started out with your phone going into D device where you can view 360 content on your cell phone. That was like the early days. With the, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's exactly how it started. And, and there are definitely great use cases for that as well. So I, I think in terms of hardware, like we're there, it's just a matter of getting the investments from these 
larger enterprises to drive that content on these devices. Um, that's going to that's gonna get people to use it. I wanted to clarify, I think the term, because I'm even a little confused by the term, because we use augmented reality, AR, virtual reality, VR, and then the XR term. Is that just the fusion of the two, or is there more technology when you use the term XR, immersive technology? I would say, so XR, extended reality, or- Extended reality, okay. As, the, as military likes to put it, cross-reality. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned. But I consider it just the overarching terminology for all these different augmentations of reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, and anything in between. So I just stick with either immersive technology or XR. And I don't know, it's not like I want to be a stickler on a definition, but I hear some terms. I'm like, I don't think that word means what you think it means type of thing. And I'm like, how are they, what's, what's this actually involve or include? Because I hear some of those things are interchangeable. But you mentioned some of the bigger brands being able to use this. And I had heard on a recent podcast you'd done with Tyler, you were talking about events like South by Southwest, some fashion clothing, Nike. Can you give us some some stories, some examples that maybe you've seen out in, I'm going to use the term in the wild, about how they're effectively using that and getting consumers to have a different experience? I'd say the most widely used use case for the consumers that's actually working is, uh, is augmented reality for viewing items and furniture in somebody's home. Let's say Ikea, Wayfair, Amazon, even Google, you can even Google things right now. And Google has integrations into their search engine for augmented reality. And I think that's the most widely used, easily understandable, relatable use case that is actually driving, driving revenue because now people can see at scale what those items will look like in their home. And so it just overcomes that one barrier of the what ifs and the possibilities and the unsure, being unsure of a big purchase like that's then again, hard to return. You're also seeing that in the makeup industry as well. Okay. With facial augmentation through these various applications. I started with Snapchat now, Instagram is having it. And these are some of these filters are branded filters and companies are investing in placing their brands into these augmentation sites where then people can not only try on these different accessories and, and makeup brands, but they can also purchase within the app as well. So we're seeing a lot of that. One of the other things, I don't know, did you get a chance to see Lex Friedman's interview with Mark Zuckerberg that he did? Actually, I was during that time. I've went back, I couldn't watch this, it's two hours long, so I've been, I've watched it in chunks. But one of the things that I found interesting that obviously Facebook's taken the term over meta and, and I don't think there's going to be any singular company that's going to be quote unquote, the metaverse. I don't think this is ready player one environment. I don't know that we're heading down that path. But do you see the kind of the, particularly now that we've went through COVID and we're doing a lot of stuff here through web cameras that we're going to get into these bigger virtual meeting rooms where we get all of the nuances as we were legitimately sitting next to each other with all of the nonverbal cues that I'm used to getting. Yeah, I'm already doing it. 
Are you? But then again, <laughs> in the industry, like experimenting with it. But tell us, yeah, okay, break, give give us a an example of that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm not a gamer, so I don't go into VR to use the different gaming applications that are available. I just don't even have the time. But I do find the time for the more of the social experiences. Okay. So I have attended concerts with holograms of celebrities that are playing hosted by Altspace because they're doing a lot of experimentation with their new mesh capability. I have, I've hosted virtual experience and for virtual events. Like you said, like you had mentioned, Ready Player Golf is, was a big, is a big initiative of mine and a couple others that I work with. And we hosted the first virtual reality charity golf tournament two years ago and we've done it for the second year in a row and we're gearing up for the third year as well. And we're, we're proving that people will pay hundred bucks a ticket to attend wow. a virtual reality golf tournament, people within our industry, but people outside of our industry as well. We're getting a lot of new people and headsets to come into our uh, clubhouse that we've built and engaged super realistic graphics. The avatars are awesome. You can upload a photo of your face and it superimposes it onto Very your cool. avatar and your <laughs> mouth and your eyes are moving while you talk. So that experience is awesome, but that's the clubhouse part. And we've actually perfected being able to portal from that app and engage to another Oculus app called golf plus where people are portaled to their to their matches with the teams that they've selected. I love the interportability between apps and between worlds. I think this is a great kind of starter use case for what we want to become the metaverse, being able to freely be able to do that. Um, people are doing that. We see a lot with just in general, like remote collaboration, just as simple as meetings. There's a lot more that you can do with modeling and design in 3D that's super valuable for it in its own. But at the very basics, getting that feeling of being in a space with your colleague, with your friend, it's just a different type of relationship than what you can have over video, as we all know. I always said that VR was the next best thing to actually being somewhere in person and experiencing something in person. And, and they're definitely making that, that happen in, in, in these collaborative work environments. So you do see a lot of that and it's cool because there's not a lot of customization of the spaces that you have to do. So anybody can go in and start a room in different applications. Spatial is a big one that's out there. And you can try it for yourself. And again, you don't have to be in a headset to do it, which is awesome because there are options. Are, is there going to be, you mentioned about being the next best thing to actually physically being there. Now that we've seen it, I do play games a little bit. My only experience with VR headsets has been in a video game mode. So to see something that's been practically, I'm sitting in a meeting, honestly, if there would be a podcast environment that I could record these in VR, that would be, that'd be kind of cool. There are. I, <laughs> I'm about to look, look that up. Uh, how far away before you start bringing in other senses, smell being one of them, which is a big deal when you're talking about setting the environment, you're going somewhere and you got the smell of the ocean, the breeze, the leather of the chair you're sitting in the office, things of that nature to really make that a full experience. Yeah. The technologies already exist. They do. Okay. Uh, there's a company called um, uh, OVR technology, and it's basically a strap on cots piece of hardware to your VR device 
and they customize simulated smells. Wow. And not only that, the, 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 there's variables of that smell depending on how close or how far you are from that object. And they can immediately turn those smells off and on depending on, on, on what you're doing. So for example, when I, one of the first times I tried the technology, they told me to pick a rose out of the rose garden. The rose was on top, the rosebud was on top, and there was dirt on the bottom where the, where the roots were. And so the reason that they did that was because they wanted me to take a, a smell of the rose and then quickly turn it over to smell. The, and when I did that, the smells just turned off and on for, for the smell of the flower. And That's awesome. It's really cool. And then there's, there's so many different types of other technologies for haptics, being able to feel things in virtual reality, be haptics is one of them. Tesla suits, another really impressive technology. And it can do more than just haptics and feeling. They can do, uh, like heat and cool feelings. Sure. It can collect biometric data as well. So th there's a lot of really cool technologies that are out there. I think we'll see more and more integration of that, but we're still in the early adoption stages of the, of right. the XR technology in itself. The add-ons are going to be quickly to follow, but people still have to gain confidence <laughs> in the use of XR technologies first. No. So one of the things that I'm most familiar with as far as when it comes to it, training has been in pilots. Pilots have had simulators around for a very long time. Now, a lot of them are still like, they're not just sticking on a headset. They're actually walking into a full bodied three-dimensional room with stuff set on there. But I do see that this would be, if you had a job or a position that was extremely dangerous. And like you said, now you can put heat and cold into it and the smell. Are we seeing an adoption for companies as a method to train people without actually sticking them into the dangerous environments? I think that is like the number one use case okay. for VR and training in particular, because a lot of the times, and you probably know this from a pilot training perspective, like you can't even train on the physical equipment until you've passed a series of tests already and you've done the initial training and then maybe they'll put you in after that. <laughs> but even in other circumstances, training in oil rigs and oil fields, like they yep. don't allow people to train there. So you're watching videos, you're reading manuals, you're taking multiple choice tests based off of them. I would fail that job in a heartbeat <laughs> if I couldn't put my hands on something. Well, <laughs> You'd pass the test and then you'd fail when actually life. Life. Exactly. So I, I like to call it failing, being able to fail safely. Yeah. And I think that's very important to do because we are able to relate our actual experiences and consequences from those actions to the consequences of what would actually happen to those actions. And believe me, if that doesn't stick, then not even a multiple choice test will help you. And, um, Obviously, then beyond the danger part of things, just in general learning and education, it, it cuts down time significantly, creates other efficiencies, reduce costs as, as a result of this, and just makes people smarter, faster. Um, and it's pretty incredible. How complex is it? I have some experience having managed like software development projects and things of that nature. But when you're talking about building a virtual world that you can walk through that's being rendered in real time, essentially, what is the complexity and length of, to, to be able to make that happen? 
I mean, it's without getting, being too technical. <laughs> yeah, it's getting easier. It is getting easier. There's a lot of applications out there that are helping democratize the creation of content, depending on what you want to do. Obviously, if you're talking about very specific, complex training scenarios, and that's a whole different ball game. But I created my own 3D website. Okay. On Frame. Frame and space. I consider Frame Spatials also another one, another good one. I have the Wixes of 3D immersive websites. So it's it's pretty simple for people to get in there and start creating and experimenting with the technology. There's also a lot of low code, no code platforms to be able to drum up your own augmented reality experience that from, let's say you're a marketer and you just want to get something out there to the audience that is very simple, one asset, you bring it up with a QR code, it's easy to do now. <laughs> so it's awesome. It's awesome that we're able to get the hand, get the technology and the creation of the technology in the hands of more non-technical users. No. And I see that's probably going to expand the adoption because we, you would see that again, I'll go back to gaming because this is a lot of the origination people that do mods in gaming, it can make things last a whole lot longer than what the normal, the original producers of the content would actually do with the modifications. One of the things that I was curious about coming from the cybersecurity background briefly is privacy as well as security being baked in with this because now you're talking so much more data points being tracked, being managed. And I don't know the volume of data. Obviously, it's going to be way much more if you're like eye tracking legitimately everything that your VR is in there, but also the ability, depending on the type of closed loop system that you're in, of somebody being able to kind of get into it and manipulate what you're seeing and have you walk into a door for instance, I'm using that as a sample because I'm staring at a door. It are, is that a, something that comes up when, as these things are starting to go to market and becoming more adopted? Yeah. And it's definitely a conversation, ongoing conversations that need to be continually, continuously had, especially in the early stages of the technology. So we can get out in front of how this is going to be used, how the data is going to be used and tracked and be able to protect people, especially because, again, inherently, this is a gaming technology. You're going to see a lot more kids in these devices. So how do we protect them? You know, especially since right. it's, you can, there's, there are ways to monitor from a parental perspective, but if a kid- You think they're going to figure that out? Yeah. I mean, you can see what they're doing on the phone, but it's not like the TV's on in the corner and I can see out of the corner of my eye what they're watching right. TV, that you're in a headset with a screen that's only available to the person that's in VR. So <laughs> <laughs> the world, the opportunities are limitless and the opportunities to be exposed to dangerous leading things are limitless. So yeah, then there's, I have a lot of things to say about this. Please say. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> For, for websites that we go on, for example, and emails that we get, phishing emails, a lot of people, it's easy to get, it's easy to get scammed that way because yeah. it's coming from a believable source, something that you've done business with before. The branding looks the same. The interface looks the same. So it's easy to give the, the wrong fronts the, this type of personal identifiable information already. So moving into the immersive space, Think about how much easier it is to lead people because I am building relationships now with avatars 
that sound like somebody that I like, or maybe I know look like somebody now because I can program it however I want with the coming of right. and all that stuff. I can make it look yep. exactly like the likeness of somebody else with the voice box and everything. And then with the convergence of AI machine learning and getting to understand that person from more of that personal level beyond that credit card information that you put in mm -hmm. the system in your first and last name, your email, I'm learning behavior now. So it's a lot easier to trick people into believing that it's a credible source now. So those are the things that we should definitely be considering and be wary of. And I know there's a, a lot of organizations that are exploring how they can kind of help fight that battle earlier on and understand what those nuances are there. No, I totally agree. It's something that in a whole bunch of other things, we start thinking the safety of life aspect should always be number one. And my concern had been when you're doing something with startup costs that can be pretty expensive up front, that you try to rush it to market and to try to start getting some return on your investment. And so what's some of the stuff that usually get kicked to the side? Hey, we're not going to necessarily put all the security things in there in case this doesn't take off type of thing. So that's been a potential concern. Do you see us at any point in the, in the near future? Google Glass had been on and off that we're legitimately going around with a headset or something where we're constantly, our phones are close, but legitimately like a heads up display where we're constantly, you're looking around and you're constantly getting real-time weather, real-time traffic. You're getting, it's doing facial recognition with somebody walking on the street. I forget that was a, the Minority Report with Tom Cruise movie type of thing. Some of this does not sound far-fetched from being legitimately in, right around the corner, not 50 years from now, but like two weeks from now. It's funny, the company I came from, we always got referred to or compared against the minority report. Like, yeah, you're doing technology like minority report. I'm like- I did not know that going into this conversation. <laughs> if you can relate to that, then yeah, that is true. And it is. It's interesting back from like the Star Wars times where sci-fi films are really leading the exploration into what mm -hmm. To technology, future technology could look like. Yeah, I'm not sure how much those producers and directors and writers knew about really the future capabilities, but it seems like looking back, kind of on point, right? <laughs> I keep going. Is that a chicken and egg thing? Because there's been more. I, I, there's no way for me not to talk about Ready Player One when you're talking about virtual reality. And it, yes, it's a young adult novel. Yes, I'm 40, and I yes, I read it. But I'm reading this, going, this seems plausible. I'm not going to uh, say that the virtual and rally environment that they discuss in that book seems plausible to me. A hundred percent. It is there. There are versions of, you know, of ready player one out there and, and half-life was a big like, use case. Oh, I forgot you about know, that. That's, that was like a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually know technologies that were featured in ready player one. The Infinidec was one of them yep. with the omnidirectional treadmill. Tesla suit was one of them with the full body happiness. Okay. I mean, that those technologies already existed <laughs> and were featured in the film. So yes, that's where it could go. And <laughs> it's super it's... interesting, super cool. And pe people are all, are finding kind of social validity now in, in having these virtual presences. So I think that we're moving into an era where there is an importance 
now. There was, there always was now with the coming of social media and things like that, where our digital presence is becoming of more importance now moving into these 3D immersive virtual presences now as well. And that's where like getting into the topic of the metaverse, I always said the definitions around the metaverse are very ambiguous and people have yes. many definitions from it. And I'm certainly not the one to give you the official definition. Give me your it. definition. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're all kind of making, making it up as we go. Make I mean, it now. <laughs> and I, and I think that it maybe starts from this industry, from the XR industry educating people about it but i think that it's going to be the combination of the xr industry leaders brand leaders the early stage adopters on the consumer side of things that are going to simultaneously drive what the metaverse will actually become but people see it as a place or a series of places of connected virtual worlds let's say that are interoperable you can move freely between those worlds like like i described in the ready player golf scenario uh, and a lot of what I've done in WebXR actually, and being able to have persistency from one place to another. So I am uh, my likeness. I carry my likeness and maybe things attached to my likeness, my different badges or NFTs that I've purchased in one platform and be, being able to then travel with that to various other worlds or platforms. But I also say that I think the metaverse perhaps is not a place or a series of places, but a place or a moment in time where we start to value our virtual identities, maybe somewhat over mm -hmm. our physical identities. And, you know, in that sense, that could mean social media on 2D devices that could mean virtual worlds and your virtual presences as well that could carry over to this buzz on, on nfts and the and the importance of having <laughs> specific being a part of specific clubs regarding and the nfts i want to stay off um, of nfts for yeah the, we're, we're gonna have to have another one on NFTs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah but yeah so I, I don't know where this question was going but yeah i definitely think that that we are coming into that place and i actually just experienced it for myself i had my own aha moment uh, over new year's i was going to ask about this yeah. so Tell the story because I want to hear oh, details. Yeah, on okay, okay. I heard this. Heard, heard, you only talked about it for about ten seconds on your podcast. I want the longer version. Over the past two years, we've all of us have learned to develop relationships with people in a variety of capacities. A lot of mine were in over Zoom and in virtual spaces. Sure. A lot of people which I haven't even met in real life. Thankfully, I have met you in real life. So <laughs> awesome. This is treat. But so I've developed all these all these friends and different people in my network and I was invited to a New Year's party. Uh, physical New Year's party with my friends. <laughs> you have to start using the term physical and virtual know, parties. I in real life. IRL is another uh, yeah. acronym there that we use. And the physical parties and events are few and far between nowadays. So I was super excited to be able to go to something in real life. And I was at my friend's house and I brought my VR headset with me. And I, there were five other VR New Year's Eve parties <laughs> that I was invited to or knew of that I wanted to go in because they were all on different platforms, different friends were going to be in different places, different special guests and celebrities and music appearance, appearances and performances that were happening. It seemed exciting, somewhat, sometimes even more exciting than what I was doing that night. And after the champagne pop, I excused myself 
and locked myself in a room with my VR headset <laughs> and started party hopping in the metaverse. And I was like, okay, it's time to take a break. I need to go visit my other friends and make my appearance there. Because I knew I had people that were looking to see me. And so I brought up my VR headset and then I had people like kind of looking for me over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. <laughs> I open the door and they see me in a room by myself with my headset. And I'm like, Okay, so I'm actually invited. That's when it dawned on me. I'm, I was actually invited to an in-person event, but I still brought along it, it, a, a big VR headset. I had to bring a big purse to even fit it with me. It's not like I could bring <laughs> my small cell phone. I brought my VR headset with me just so I could take a break and meet my other friends in virtual reality during that party. <laughs> So they didn't open up the door, find you like dancing and drinking it with the headset on your head going, what are you doing? Pretty much. I offered them to go in, but they didn't seem as interested. But again, that's when it, people have fun in virtual reality, the people that I introduce them to, but it's not the same as when you develop relationships and you have other, you have a purpose driven need to go into these spaces. I don't know if I would have just brought a headset to be in a headset, but I knew people that were going to be in, in these, at these parties. I had developed relationships with these people. We're going to have VR um, party crossers. I, so I felt a responsibility towards going into VR, sure. whereas they, you know, maybe some of my friends didn't feel that, that same. So how well did that go over when they opened the door and they're like, Sophia, what are you doing? We're in this, we're in this room yeah. or did they just shut the door and go, that's her, just leave her alone? <laughs> my nerdiness, my weirdness to them. They totally understood it. They know I, I live in VR anyways. A lot of my friends of us also bought the headset because I have one as well. And I try to introduce them to the same applications that that sure. I like the, diff the different events that, that I'm hosting or a part of, I find it hard to demo VR to people, uh, right. has, just because th there are some good applications, but Beat Saber is fun. It's the most popular VR game on the market, but you know, it's not something that I want to, it, it depends who I'm demoing it to, it, it sure. has to be the appropriate audience. So if I'm bringing a VR headset to a more maybe sophisticated audience or maybe even like potential clients and those types of things. It, I find it hard to find great demos that are out there unless a company that I happen to be working with and I have access to content to, I can bring up a demo that is, that's been custom made because often there's the graphics are just higher fidelity. It's again, more purpose driven rather than just seeing a VR environment, like a gamified VR environment. It's more like more serious focused, I would say as well. So I find it hard to find demos that are open to the market to, to demonstrate, but, um, Google earth is also a really good one just to show scalability. Yeah. Of, I guess of I didn't think about that one. Yeah. Different perspectives. Yeah. And views of the world. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think there needs to be a standing party room that's 24 seven that you use for a demo for pretty much every environment. Just yeah. as a, that's the, that's always going to be the icing on the cake selling point. And Hey, when you're done with your work, walk into the party room. That's right. <laughs> I, I, Hey, I actually, so a part, a part of this ready player golf initiative, we host these monthly meetups in our clubhouse where it's more casual mm -hmm. get togethers between industry professionals. And one's happening today. I know this podcast is going to be released later on, but it's every second Friday of the month. So if you okay. go to airgolf.com, it's a great way to experience a more serious 
social environment, I would say. People that, you know, us, that we can relate to and talk to. So That's awesome. I, I had a blast. Thank you for educating my lower level of intellect on this. Where, if people want to reach out, connect outside of your Ready Player Golf, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn like 24 seven. Sophia Moshasha, you can find me there. And I have other on Twitter and on all of those at Sophia Mosh. Right. <laughs> um, the- just look me up on Google. You'll find a bunch of resources there. I, I, and I'll make sure to have the bigger stuff in the show notes. Out of curiosity, just while we're here, what is, you said you had built your own 3D website. What do you have the link for that? I actually, yeah, I can, sh- I'll share the website with you as well. I, I have a personal website that just has some of the things that I, my initiatives that I do speaking the features and all that stuff. And I was like, I need to practice what I preach here. (laughs) Create an example of it and and display those items in some cool, unique ways and on the immersive web. And so that's why I I did it. I was like, I just need to, I just need to get in it and start creating myself. So I'll share that with you. And it's just more all about me stuff. No, that's it's, but it's good practical example for something that's new for ninety, probably nine percent of us that have not exactly other than you as the scratch and sniff type of thing where ah we saw it and then walked away to be able to dive into it a little deeper. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get that from you. I'll make sure that's in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. So really appreciate. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John.